0: As I was thinking about the video game Call of Duty, I couldn't help but wonder how they achieve such seamless animation in real time. I know it depends on powerful software, but I also wondered what the artist has to know to be able to use that software if you're wondering too, stay tuned, because in this episode, number 2202, Bill and Sean John Johnston, the CG Bros, will be telling you all about it when they answer the commonly asked question, how is animation for video games created? On the CG Bros, CG Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the CG Bros, CG Insider Podcast. Or maybe this is your first time, but either way, thanks so much for joining us. In today's episode, we're going to be answering a question from viewer Kurt W. from Arizona that he submitted on the Ask Us Anything page at thecgbros.com. Kurt asks, how are animations for video games created? That's a kind of a great follow-on from last week's podcast. Uh, and by the end of our discussion today, not only will you have some information uh, about how to create a- animations for video games, but you'll also come out with some of the history and background uh, for creating animation for video games, as well as talking a little bit about... Um, We'll talk about some of the processes that go into creating the different types of animation that that you see in video games. Uh, You'll also get our personal take and uh, some professional insights into what software we use and uh, what software you can use to create some terrific game animation.
2: Also, be sure to stay to the end of the podcast. We'll be uh, showing some examples of some of the cutting-edge tools that you just mentioned. Uh, Also, uh, to make make your uh, game animations easier and create some stunning ones, by the way. Uh, We'll also be reading some comments from the mailbag, and again, who knows? We may be reading yours, so make sure uh, for any future podcast, you go and and give us your comments to us. We we love it. It's exciting stuff. I'm Sean Johnson, one of your hosts for today's edition of the CG Insider Podcast. And I'm Bill Johnston. And we are the CG Bros. It's a great question. Yeah,
1: sure is. (laughs) Uh, So let's go ahead and start the discussion. I know uh, if you've ever played a video game, and I know you have, you understand the importance of uh, animation and video games. Either the animation, uh, you know, you fall in love with a certain character, the way they move. Or you 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 like the way a, a cool vehicle, or you like dynamic environments. But basically, animation is one of the things that, at least for me, gets me hooked into a, into a game storyline and and the personalities in that game.
2: And you were uh, when you first started with the flip books we mentioned before in other podcasts. You started me wanting to be an animator to begin with. I just remember looking at your flipbooks and going, "God, this guy is amazing." The fluid—it was so fluid. I—I I, I don't know how you did what you did, but it's still—I still look at some of your old stuff that you used to do, and it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's beautiful. Very, 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 very good. You could do pretty much anything you wanted to, Bill. Well,
1: thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. And as we've talked about in, in past podcast, animation uh, is the process of breathing life into a game or a character. Uh, as a matter of fact, the word "animate" itself means to fill with the spirit of life. Um, so uh, the animator's job is to basically draw out and reveal the attitudes and the emotions and the mood of a character's, you know, through a character's movement. And uh, I think uh, good anima- animators can do that.
2: Yes, and my my history of, of, of getting into animation is, um, obviously we talked about comi- uh, comic books in the past, uh, movies, things like that. Uh, I was actually on a different track in early in life. I was actually not going to be doing uh, anything that was in the the right brain sphere. It was all left brain sphere business. But uh, I really uh, this nagging thing about myself wanting to do. I was always doing things on the side, uh, graphically drawing and uh, for my whole life, and wanting to. And, and then seeing the initial uh, Tron movies got me uh, involved with wanting to to create the same kind of things in in three D in the computer, and then. One thing led to another. I got my my PC to do my my uh, term papers, uh, business term papers, um, at the same time jumping into video games early on um, with the Wing Commander series, uh, Stellar Seven, um, some of those uh, flight sim early flight sim games just got me into wanting to become uh, an animator. Um, I did become a generalist at the beginning because like you said earlier in our previous podcast that, that was that's what you had you, you had to do everything you were the 3d modeler you did the VFX you did your animation uh everything uh, so those are those are the things you learned and then after time ta- after after all this time my honing my skills uh, I decided that I couldn't be a master of all of these so I had to go and, and, and just kind of concentrate on one particular aspect of of animation, and and that was pretty much the the one I settled on because, like you're saying, it breathes life into the character, um, and every single piece of that particular character, down to the f- the fingers, I'm I'm animating those, and uh, so you're you're putting your entire body, your entire uh, motions into that character, depending on what kind of game you're work you're working on. Uh, so very very fun. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, before. When you're doing visual effects in our last podcast, it was it was like almost playing God. Um, I, I kind of get that same kind of a feeling um, where I'm 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 a, a godlike uh, creating everything for this particular character that he's thinking and and uh, responding to in the environment of a particular game. So I, I that's that's my so you, my story. You
1: are the puppeteer. That's the, uh, the puppeteer.
2: You the control puppeteer. the people. Yes, yes <laughs> the puppeteer. And then early early on learning. That uh, when we had limited RAM, abil- uh, you know, capabilities in your machine, there's really a lot uh, to be desired when you're trying to get, you know, 320 by 200, really small little like thumb thumbnail looks like a postage stamp on your screen to play in full screen. And everything looks pixelated and it looks terrible. Um, initially, though, um, starting in the video games, I was doing, uh, I mentioned before that I was a sprite artist. Uh, super, um exciting anyway, because I was working on a super Nintendo entertainment system and doing, doing games for those cartridges was, was, uh, yeah, it was all pixel based. And there was a lot of rotoscoping, uh, with characters, um, that were the shot on green screen, uh, using traditional video, you know, equipment, VHS or super eight or whatever they're using at the time. And then bringing that into the computer and I was cleaning those things up and, at the time, the art director wanted everybody to uh, have some type of drawing skills. And for me, I was always drawing and it was perfect for me to jump right into. Um, but Lightwave at the time was also uh, really, you know, Babylon 5 had come out and people were just, oh man, just looking at all that CG and, that, and it looks so cool and sexy. And so that's what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to get into 3D originally. Uh, but I was still stuck on the Sprite stuff, and uh, they wouldn't let me mess with the uh, the Lightwave uh, video toaster at the time. Um, so it was something I always wanted to do. And eventually, um, I got uh, a, a package. Um, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, uh, well, <laughs> fortunately for me, it was a cracked version of, uh, of 3D Studio DOS. And that's where I learned how to do pretty much everything in 3D. And the rest is history. And and the rest, well, you rest know that- is history.
1: You know, Mist really inspired me visually, and when I saw some of the the scapes in the in the game Mist, I said, "Oh my gosh!" There, that's I think that's what really kind of got me interested in, in maybe uh, doing some, doing game work. Was was how beautiful those environments were.
2: Well, I I liked uh, BioForge and Alone in the Dark, the first one, because to me, when I first saw Alone in the Dark, it was really. Um... Well, I'll go back to Stellar Seven. Stellar Seven, which is almost like a—you're a, in a first-person view and you're shooting at these. These—it's—it's it's a kind of a horizon with a sky, and you're you're shooting um, like tanks. They're coming at you, almost like Tank Commander or one of those early ones. What was the one that 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 we used to play in the in the um, the gaming? Um, um, rooms that we used to go to remember that i was, like
1: the- a, I was always an atari fan so battle zone battle zone yeah and, and
2: uh, asteroids right or? this is actually a colored version of battle zone I, I guess stellar seven pretty much would be like that okay but though but they're polygonal and so only the only thing that could do polygonal things at that point before the playstation one came out was your pc because it was pushing so much more but uh Bioforge, uh, which is another one from Origin Systems, that was the first character one other than uh, I mentioned Alone in the Dark, um, which had a lot of really good soundtrack along with it, which was exciting. But uh, again, that's that's what I wanted to do and eventually got into it by using 3D Studio and then using 3D Studio Max and using BiPed. That was the early... 3D Studio came with a a really easy to use um, software uh, plugin called biped and you could use motion capture and skin a character pretty, pretty easily uh, and get people or get your characters up and running very, very fast. Uh,
1: well, that uh, brings up a pretty good question. If you don't mind me interjecting, not at all. Uh, how much do you use motion capture in your, in your daily animation life?
2: Well, it depends on the, the project you're working on. Uh, for example, we're
1: jumping ahead too, too, too much here. I mean, we, uh, we haven't mm. even gotten to, to the types of animation, but
2: well, you before know, yeah, so so before that, you, you just just in general, you, anything you're doing in, in animation with video games is the same thing you're going to be doing with uh, if you're going into film. Uh, you all the all the same principles of animation, the twelve principles, all apply. Um, you know, your squash and stretch, your your staging, um, your follow through, overlapping action, your slow in and slow out, uh, all your arcs, your secondary action, uh, exaggeration. You know, those things all. Um, are, are everything you're breathing into your characters is the same principles you're going to be doing in anything when you're animating, whether it's 2D, 3D, uh, 2.5D, whatever you're doing, stop action, all that stuff is all there.
1: Yes, and game animators are responsible for primarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, things like, you know, of course, character animation, uh, which has sub-animation disciplines, in which you mentioned, which was uh, hand animation, but it includes things as well as facial animations, which includes a subcategory like of lip-syncing,
2: Yes, yes, and there's 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 blend shapes. Not to get too technical, but there's also morph, morph targets or blend shapes, or just using bones. Uh, so in the face, like you said, uh, so there's all those characters you're seeing, especially today, they've got you know hundreds of bones in the body. So you've got your your arms, your legs of your character, and then like you said, the face, the mouth, the eyes, the eyelids. So it really depends on how what you're actually doing. So if you're if you've got a, a game that's very limited in the amount of polygons or amount of uh, graphics that it can it can push. You're going to be reducing that uh, significantly. In fact, they have shaders uh, in Unity as well as Unreal, where you can basically uh, have your 3D characters in, in higher resolution, and you can run this shader on it and 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 create pixelized versions of it, almost to the retro feel that you would have back in the old um, console days from, you know, Super Nintendo and, and those, uh, those at that time. So it's, it's, it's funny that people even have that kind of retro nostalgic appeal of going back to 2d pixel, um, uh, look, uh, and now you can do some amazing, um, stuff that doesn't look as jittery, but it has the same look and feel. It's it's amazing. look
1: Look at Minecraft. You know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of got that 3D true. pixel, you know, it's very popular. And I, I think, you know, going back to what you said just a, a, a minute ago uh, about movies and the, the, being very similar, I think there's one of the main differences between animation for games and doing animation for movies is the animator is generally uh, only responsible, for, you know, at least if you're animating for games, only responsible for what you know, is in the camera, I'm sorry, for movies, whatever's in the camera's view, whatever's, you know, what the camera sees. Right. So, you know, they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, multiple camera angles or, or, or different different uh, you know, scales. They just, basically, it's it's coming out of one camera at a time. And so you, you uh, I think that's a big difference. You know, things in a game world have to look good from every angle.
2: Yes, and and that that reminds me of a great story um, of, of a buddy of mine worked on EverQuest uh, with me and he ended up going to Digital Domain to work on iRobot at that time. And I remember him t- him telling me that, oh, yeah, I've got this. I've got one of the robots in the scene where they break into the um, police station. And there's, I guess, I don't know, 50, 60 of these, maybe 20, 30. I don't know. There's a lot of them. And they, they break into the station. I remember him telling me, oh, yeah, I've got this one shot of the one robot and it all, it just all it has to do is look good in one um, camera, in in that one camera view. It does. I don't have to worry about anything else. It just has to look, uh, you know, dynamite in that, that, that camera view. So, like you said, it's so true. Well, if
1: it looks good, it is good. And unfortunately, that's some of the techniques that movie makers can use to kind of fool fool us. But you can't. There's no fooling you, especially when you're running in real time environment in, in a game world.
2: Right. And, and you have to have your, your character pretty much in 3D has got to look good all the way around, so especially if it's an immersive game like a, a, a multiplayer um, sandboxy type game, like a massive multiplayer online game or a, even your, your first person shooter type game. where You're seeing everything. You're going to see that character. And then you, you mentioned motion capture. So depending on the, the project you're working on, you can work, you can do um, motion capture for um, the realistic type games. And a lot of people um, in, in our studio, as well as other studios, will use that as a basis for timing. A lot of times you'll, you use that and then they'll push that. They'll push it to um, extremes. Like I know in the God of War series, uh, a lot of those, uh, some of the games where they use motion capture on those and they, they push those poses, push them higher, um, broke the joints, basically making them, making them bend beyond their normal Capabilities of a real human, uh, but it looks really, really good because it's snappy. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of that goes into into doing those type of characters uh, using motion capture. Now, if you're doing things like uh, 2D games, which have a real stylized look, you're going to want it to look um, not necessarily motion capture. Then you get that uncanny valley feel with some of the characters. Um, so I think you can you can. Lower the frame rate, or um, you know, draw every other frame, or something like that. There's techniques to make it look like it's more 2D looking, even if you're using 3D characters. Um, like I said, there's those software that actually can make it look 2D as well with pixelating it. Um, but that brings me to some of the some of the really interesting software that they have you have now today. Well, before we before
1: we jump onto the software, I just wanted to say that that you know to your point. You know, the technique that a game animator uses depends uh, on the director's vision, you know, what the, st- what the storyboard calls for, you know, the style and the personality, and the realism, uh, the level of realism that the game that you're making requires. A-, a lot of, you know, the style of the gameplay also has a lot to do with how the animator will approach, you know, a character's motion. And, and, and you know, they, they, they do they animate more than characters, but, uh, but, but as far as kind of a, an overall uh, global animation viewpoint uh, that's you know the style of the gameplay because they th- that would dictate a lot of a lot of how your characters would move and how you'd animate them
2: right it depends on if you're in a first person view or a third person view behind your character so you're going to be obviously it's a third person you're going to be running behind your character the camera's going to be behind your character and you're going to see him fighting or um you know engaging with with creatures that are in the environment so you have your animation would be doing. Uh, you know, certain animators would be doing your environmental characters, which would be creatures, uh, animating props, things like that that are moving. Let's say a windmill or something in the scene, uh, flags like you mentioned earlier before. There's a lot of animated things that are actually going on, especially if it's like a a game where you're you're um, interacting with the the environment itself, or you're going through puzzles and jumping and and um, you know uh, those those kind of things on ledges and um, or you're getting you know there's like the um, a certain certain uh, video games where you've got obstacles that are coming at you or um, zombies, in fact, that are coming after you or something like that. So um, you know, it does take it, it. You know, those are things you have to, like you said, look at the the animation director or the art director will have a lot of input on what the particular scene is that you're going to be working on. And you know, it's a collaborative effort. It's not just they don't just throw it at the animators and say, "Hey, animate it." Um, design's got a lot to do with it as well. Designers of the game and they they they. Uh, have their storyline and so you're trying to you have this little pow wow and, and you brainstorm on what's the best what are they thinking when they when you interact with this particular part of the game like what yes, makes and it fun I, and 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 sticky? De- and
1: hmm? yes and depending on what type of creature you're animating or what kind of species you're animating they all move in a certain way they, they have similar movements they have a certain way they move as a as a creature right uh, of that of that race or something or that genre um, and i'll say that you know as far as you know, motion using motion capture, and now we can I guess get back to that. So there's there's it sounded like you were talking about there's 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 a couple different techniques for creating animation. It's and, and it's probably a blend between both of them. One is using motion capture data, depending on the, the level of realism you want, and then the other one is 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 more simple, like you said, in a two D way, more keyframe based animation. Um, that that basically I guess key, you know, you set different key poses and you interpolate you know between the body positions or the key poses and uh, between point
2: uh, posed to positions pose, and yes. time. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now would you say that, that you do more motion capture work or that, that you, do you see that, that is it more a blend well, of, of traditional? And I
2: think, capture? I think most, um, it seems to me that most of the games coming out today, people are, are, are craving realism. And so a lot of the motion capture, uh, needs are there. And so there, yes, there are stylized games. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, like you said, there's traditional keyframe hand keyed stuff that's going in. And, but a lot of it now, especially some of the titles, especially some of the ones you're working on, the ones that are the blockbuster AAA, there's a lot of, um, motion capture that goes into it. People may, may or may not acknowledge that they're using some of that as, or, or as reference or using video reference. So yeah, they may not be doing exact you know motion capture, but mundane things that you, you see over and over and over again and, and it has to also depend on on your your project's budget. It's like do you want to go ahead and spend time in, in the motion capture studio with the talent and the, the expense because it is expensive to, to get that uh, all the, the game animations done, then you got to go clean them up. Uh, if, if or they charge you to clean all the, the data up or you get a clean one and you still have to create your animation loops. For the runs, the jumps, the punches, you know, all of those things you have to do uh, to get it ready to actually go into the game where you have your state machine, which is basically a, a fancy way of saying... Uh, it's almost like Vizio where you have a, it's almost a node based thing, um, a diagram. So you have your idol in the middle and you've got, Oh, the character is supposed to run. Okay. So it, 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 it branches out into a run and those are all logic trees. Basically was what a kind of a state animation system. And usually your, your tech animators doing that um, a lot of times and they're setting all those systems up so you can be creative and start doing the things you need to do. and, and, you know, the motion capture, Not a, you can't capture fingers, uh, at least not now very well, unless you're spending big bucks on that. Uh, some of the some of the cinematics, you're going to be spending money on doing motion capture and fingers. But normally, you're just going to get the the body, the gross motions. You're not going to get, like you said early on, facial. So you'll have to put all that into your characters um, after the fact. And, and, so
1: motion capture data is really just a starting point for your animations. And then you build... Off and refine them from there.
2: Right, and if you have depending on the platform you're going for, you're in, you you, know, you can't afford a cloth sim. So, okay, now you're going to be plugging in these characters. But then there's no if you want them to have capes, if you want them to have, uh, you know, accoutrements that are that are kind of danglies that are you know, ponytails, those kind of things, and, and you're and you can't have that, then you're gonna to have to do a, a bone based uh, solution. So a lot of uh, there's Maya plugins for that. There's Max plugins for that. You can generate the mo- the bone data there. Uh, Well, that's
1: a a great segue. Why don't we go ahead and and talk a little bit about the software you can use to to do some game animation?
2: Well, yeah. So, well, you've got the the 3D Studio Max. You've got uh, Maya. You've got uh, the free software like Blender, uh, which is fantastic. Gosh, I wish we had Blender when we were first starting out. How amazing would that have been?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Houdini Uh, is really starting to make strong steps into the animation arena as well.
2: Yeah, I've seen that, but I I, I mean, I've heard about it. I haven't actually seen that. Um, so well, I
1: I've used, I'm using a tool, uh, using Houdini to actually do skinning of my end cloth, uh, simulations for game, the game environment. So I, I basically, uh, create my end cloth simulation and I export it as an FBX into, uh, into Houdini and I run the, the skinning game skinning tool, which I, th- I think it's called a different name now, but it's basically, uh, prepares uh, bone bones, uh, for, and a rig. For does it generate the bones? System. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, and I export those back through FBX into Maya and b- b- bind it, and uh, into the game it goes.
2: Fantastic. You know, I, you know, that that jogs the thing in my memory. Yes, I do. I do remember that. You can actually do the si- simulation of your cloth in Houdini, and you can say generate a bone at every vert or whatever you want, and it can. I think it can even optimize it, right? And it kind oh, of gives. Oh yeah,
1: you- yeah. You you die if you had to do it at every vert, which
2: which would just bring your
1: your animation to a screaming halt. Invert that's is just a,
2: basically a point on the 3D uh, mesh is what we're saying. So I, I'm Yeah, basically it
1: approximates and you can set up, you can choose how many bones you want. Anyway, the level of control, it's it's very, very intuitive and, and it works quite well.
2: Yeah, that's a trick I used to use back in yeah. 3D Studio when, when our, our engine couldn't run. Um, uh, morph targets and and you do the bone animations. I did that a lot using 3D Studio to, to do my flags in the environment. That was that was well, fun.
1: Hopefully, we're not getting too much in the weeds uh, for you, but uh, ho- that that's how it's done.
2: <laughs> well, I, so- okay, we'll go back into the software. Uh, so, 2D software. There's a there's a program called Spine 2D, and and I just. Super amazing program. Uh, it's a it's a two D skeletal animation program uh, software for video games, specifically written to uh, used in Unity. They've got runtime um, API that goes right into to Unity. Works really really well. Here's an example of some. Of the, I just in fact, I it's so simple to learn. I learned it in about less than a week. Learn how to how to skin a character, how to weight the character, and then add, add animation just like a norm, you normally would do in three D.
1: Pretty well, you pr- are you are a super animator, so uh, you know. Oh, I, I don't know if it would take you know you, uh, a week for everyone, but uh.
2: well, l- let me just show quickly this this uh, particular st- some of the stuff that you can do with it, and this is an example of one of the characters, uh, uh, an artist that uh, rigged this character. It almost can- you can rotate it um, into a- it's a two D drawing, but it looks like it's three D, and the way you rig it, it actually can give you. Um, the the look of a 3D character uh, you get a little parallaxing going on there uh, but that's a trick it's 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 amazing, amazing. what you can do yeah um, this particular uh, guy's using this and 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 it's got IK which uh, allows you to it's called inverse kinematics which is basically a fancy way of saying um, for example if you are traditionally traditionally animate a character without IK you'd have to here's a, for, here's, here's an arm for mm-hmm. example you would, you would animate, you wanted to do a throw. So you'd animate the upper arm, then you'd animate the lower arm, and then you'd animate the wrist, and then the hands, and then the fingers. Uh, in each frame of that animation, you move it a, like 20 frames up, you do the same thing and just move into a, almost like you're doing a, a maquette. Um, but there is no um, end. So, so to do something that's faster, they, they did it that the IK chain is at the end of the, uh, the driving of the parent bone, which is the upper arm, and so when you grab the wrist in IK, you can pull it or translate it, and the entire animation, uh, the entire arm moves together. As oh, so opposed to, I, so doing
1: I, I could yank and the whole body would come along with the arm, basically.
2: Yes. Yeah. That's uh, that's. Um, if I didn't explain it correctly, yes, that's exactly what it what it would do. Um, and, and it started originally IK was to to lock your character in place. so you can move the the pelvis of your character or the center of gravity of the character down, and the legs would stick to the to the ground plane. And that was, uh, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. but uh, yeah, and so that's what you do in this 2D animation software, it does the exact same thing. So here's another example of some of the characters done with spine. I mean, very, very fluid um it, it it's super impressive and the secondary animation that you can do on it is is uh, uh out of this world it, and it's very easy to use very so. impressive there's also a program called um cascador or cascader i call it uh which is a, a physics based uh uses ai actually to do a lot of the um uh, motions so you can do your gross <coughs> motions of uh, from pose to pose and then it'll, you can run this little AI, and it'll actually tell you it'll, it'll um, on the center of gravity of your character. Which, for example, if you're doing a flip of your character, it's very difficult to do to know where that uh, the center of rotation is on that character, and and um, you know from the start to the finish, uh, unless you watch over and over and over and use reference. But this actually does it for you, so you can move the character up and down um, to a higher jump or a higher flip, and it'll tell you it'll actually compute. The arc, the correct arc of that sum of rotation of your character, and you can rotate that character correctly. And uh, you know,
1: I think that's something that uh, Motion Builder, and we, we haven't really talked about Motion Builder much, but that's the kind of the king of of uh, animation programs. I'd say it'd be great if they had this same capability.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's it, it is the king of using and editing motion capture. Um, I wouldn't say it's the king of animation. Maya um, would be that that king. That all the Mayas where you you would want to do all your character animation. This is strictly uh, for editing motion capture. That's that's what its forte is. That that's its strengths is is that you can do it, but it's not as easy to use uh, as 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 Maya is for animation.
1: So motion capture in combination with keyframes is probably Motion Builder's strength.
2: Yes, that's, that's really what it is. I mean, even trying to set up some type of a facial animation in it is very, very difficult unless you know, either coding, um, some type of Mel coding or not Mel coding, am sorry, Python, uh, Mel is Maya, but, uh, yeah, it's very difficult to do just, just edit the motion capture, amazing graphs to, to edit the actual motion. And, uh, that's really what it's for. Very
1: cool. Well, you know, I think, uh, well, where is animation headed? I think it's headed in some pretty interesting, interesting areas, uh, I'd like to uh, go ahead and, and show you a little bit about... Uh, th- these are all AI-based uh, uh, animations. and What? Yeah, you know, it's... it's, it's, it's you know, we talked about this a little bit in, in our uh, podcast, What Are Cloth Simulations Used For? and how GANs or AI-driven approaches were being introduced. And, um, Deep learning. This is one of the areas where it's being introduced to, into is, is character animation. And these are... Uh, there, there's no motion capture clips, no, no blending between clips... Uh, basically, the AI character has learned how to walk in the environment, uh, d- and doing specified uh, actions. And this right here, you can see they actually just moving the controller. How the character leans and runs, and he's aware of th- these steps without having to have clips running together and have it reference which clip should I play at this point in time to step over this this thing. It actually knows physically what's in the environment and uh, does the appropriate motion that it needs to 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 get over it and it's a it learns how to animate the object by running through millions of simulations or uh, be, and basically learns to navigate its environment and,
2: and well it's
1: being and stimuli in the environment
2: right well it's being fed all this data all this motion captured data and it's learning well, from that data set that's what well, it's learning
1: it, well it, it depends a lot of this stuff is done uh by um having it reference a few hours of motion data information, but then the rest of it, it learns on its own. It uses that as a base, and, and, and since you don't have motion capture data for every possible scenario, it fills in all the other possibilities, and so it, it uses, yes, motion capture data or even other simulation data as a base for it to learn, and it builds its own libraries and its own behaviors uh, and, and is able to execute those in real time.
2: Well, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying it. You have to. It only gets it. only does what you input. It, it, it has to have some type of reference to, to learn. So, I, oh yeah, but
1: that but animations have to be perfectly timed. You know, to to, to work in the environment. You know, they they they're, they're, they're going to be running up steps. If you do it the motion capture way you you have to run up steps that are the same size or have a looping step step animation whereas this AI he can he can run up steps he can jump over boulders and run up different heights of steps and, right. and all have it blend together perfectly from a timing perspective
2: right. right rather than have code do it it's actually doing it based on uh, the AI is telling it what to do as far as is that that demo that you just showed right? Exactly. Right. Right. So that's,
1: that's, that's, it's an amazing technology.
2: It is. It is. I I think, uh, I think a lot of people are are afraid of that technology and I'm not afraid of that. I think any of the AI um, deep learning algorithms that they're, they're using for any of this stuff, I think is really, really cool. We wanted to use a similar, something similar to that where you're, you, it's all like motion mixing where you have this person in in a motion capture studio he's running around he turns left he turns right he goes he goes straight he he he, he stops he goes backwards all of these things jumping in different ways and and th- this particular uh, one that I'd seen that unity was using uh, had an example of uh, of motion mixing was that exact thing it was this person spent like two or three hours in, in a motion capture studio doing all these different motions. And then that was plugged into an AI that said it went in and, and looked at the database, then saw the environment and says, okay, what is it in order to get over this obstacle, which one should I logically play that blends perfectly with this? And so you're right. I mean, that's what they're going to be doing in the future. That's going to happen. But as far as being an, an animator and saying, okay, well, my, my job's going to be obsolete. You know, I think it's going to be used as a tool because uh, uh, it'll, it'll help quick, uh, quicken the creative process. It's not, I don't think it's going to replace artists. It, it may thin it out a little bit, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of that, st- especially with character, uh, character uh, stylized animation, it requires, you know, a certain understanding of humor um, and how, uh, you know, when to, when to do certain things. So you're going to have to input all that stuff. So there's well, going to yeah, be creative I, process still. I
1: was going to say there's there's yeah exactly there's still a need to push that the story forward and you know there's gameplay and then there's story and uh, you know even even as the hardware you know progresses and the games are becoming uh, you know more physics based and more 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 AI based and and kind of how they perform the I think that the you still need that the human hands on to to. Really push the narrative, uh, really do that subtle animation that's that's in maybe cutscenes or something mm-hmm. like that. That that really is not something you program. I mean, uh, there's, there's like you said, there's that all facial animation has to blend with hand animation, which has to blend with body animation, right. and, and it all has to work together. And and, and the AI isn't isn't quite there yet. To,
2: yeah, I think and, and like I said, I think it's going to be a tool to help enhance um, an animator. I, I think uh, the repetitive tasks that you have to do over and over and over again, and in, 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 especially in gaming. Those things are going to be kind of, I think, uh, reduced uh, as far as time, and you're going to be able to create so much more, so many more games uh, with this technology. Great My point, opinion.
1: Great point. Great point. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, get to the mailbag uh, for this section. Okay. Um, uh, Marty uh, Slawinski, uh, writing in, says: Firstly, your platform is well known for high quality CG content. Thanks. Secondly, I've been watching your content for years and I feel attached to your platform on a personal level. Yes. Thank you Marty. That is what we are going for. We really appreciate your uh, your loyal viewership and and uh, you know, stay tuned for more.
2: Right, right. Okay, so I'm going to butcher this name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Amar Rafigen. Uh, he says, I just want to get recognized because of my work. My work isn't getting attention at all. And it takes several months creating just one of them. So, yes, I, I, I agree 100 percent. There's it's hard to, to get recognized, especially on YouTube, where you've got so many different um, uh, thousands, millions of people putting their stuff up there. So, yes. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why you should pick the CG Bros. And, and um, so many people have picked us uh, because they get recognized. They actually can yeah, their things are, their their creations are being seen.
1: Yeah, they're they're actually findable. People can find their work and, and appreciate them and and uh, give you the feedback that you know you're probably uh, looking for at least. And from the real world, no, nonetheless. Yep. So uh, third third comment is from uh, Doyan Quack. Do Doyan Quack. Uh, the experience of professional streaming and the feedback on the video is why I submit my video to the CG Bros. Well, thanks, Doyan. That's that's. Again, uh, you know, streaming is one thing. You could put it on your website, and, and no one will find it. And that's what the CG Bros are here to do: is to to you know promote your video and get you uh, exposure and uh, and feedback.
2: Yeah, the feedback's huge. Uh, you do get some trolls every once in a while, but the majority of that stuff is is you know on YouTube. You're going to get that. So you're going to get some really good uh, feedback for what you've you've put out there.
1: Well, thanks again for being part of our podcast today, and we enjoyed being with you and answering Kurt's question, how are animations for games created? We hope you learned something new and had a good time doing it. Uh, We covered a lot of interesting information uh, that hopefully you didn't know about before, and if you did enjoy it, do us a favor and share it around, as well as hit the like button. It it just takes a second and it really helps our channel, but it also helps YouTube find someone just like you who wants to stay up on the business, the art, and the craft of CGI animation. Uh, We'd like to know what you think of the podcast as well, so please do us a quick favor, shoot us a comment. Uh, We'd like to hear it, whether or not it's good or bad, because we're always looking to improve our podcasts and get you guys uh, what you want.
2: Every week we bring a brand new edition of the CG Insider Podcast, and we discuss different topics that have anything to do with CGI animation and digital VFX. We also uh, uh, talk about a host of other interesting related subjects that come to our attention. If you've got a subject you'd like us to cover, please let us know. You can easily do that by jumping onto our website, thecgbros.com, click the About Us tab, and on the Ask Us Anything uh, page, uh, like Kurt did, it's as simple as that. Be sure to check out our other great video entertainment on the CG Bros YouTube channel. We've got really awesome stuff there for uh, motivation and inspiration and entertainment. Uh, Both of us are looking forward to seeing you here back next week. Uh, For next week's podcast, we'll be answering another gaming-related question What are the biggest challenges creating VFX for games?
1: We'll see you here next week.
0: Well, that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed the CG Bros. answer to the question, how is animation for video games created? Thanks for being with us. If you watched us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please give us a thumbs up. Be sure to leave a comment too, because we might share it on the future podcast and mention you by name. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free and ring the bell so you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. If you're listening to us on our audio-only version, don't forget to tell all your friends that they, too, can enjoy the audio-only version on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible.com, and Stitcher. If you're listening to us on Spotify, you can share the podcast to Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr with the share link. That's the circle with the three dots in it. Learn more about us by going to our website, thecgbros.com, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, What are the biggest challenges creating VFX for games? This has been episode 2202 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time.